All right, welcome back. Episode 55 of the Young Old Heads podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, a.k.a. ITV Sports Cards. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Max, a.k.a. Cards Max, a.k.a. Don't Call Him Mark Cards. Max, how are you doing? We are one letter apart in name, phonetically. We are one syllable away, maybe. But in practice, we are two entirely different beings. Do not conflate the two of us together there you go and this week we're very lucky to be joined by the the leader of the philly cards movement philly cards 25 ryan ryan how's it going everything's good man just uh celebrating father's day today happy to be on the podcast thank you guys for having me on yeah for sure man did uh my dad got me into collecting back in the day was he did your dad get you into collecting man Oh, big time. Um, my dad uh, took me to the card shop and my mom early on. And then my grandparents, too. Just getting addicted to packs and buying singles and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, without them, I don't think I'd be collecting today. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Max, how about you? Yeah, my parents, uh, I don't think they knew what they were getting into when they bought me baseball cards as a kid. And they definitely were confused by it in my adolescence and adulthood and they kind of started getting it more once they started transacting more and trying to make money but deep down there is still a confusion with cardboard in my family (laughs) yeah my my dad he said he collected in the 60s when he was a kid and then he claims that his neighbor borrowed his cards one day and never brought them back and so, so I think he wanted to get me into it. I was like, he just never could get that out of his mind, I think. So, so shout out, was, shout out all the dads. In the spirit of collecting, um, my dad, when he was a kid in the 70s, um, so in the 70s and 60s cards, you would have a color in the corner usually. Um, 1968 tops is kind of like, I, in my opinion, the first one that comes to mind. You have like a green circle or a yellow circle or a red circle and him and a bunch of friends and the other kids in the schoolyard or whatever it may have you be would go on a circle and they would put down a card, I think blindly into a pot. And once someone matched the same color of a card that was put down, they would keep all the commons and they would win them all. And then they would do it again. So like Uno, Uno with tops cards. (laughs) Yes. And then, but like once you had a similar color, all those commons became yours. Like there would be no sense of doing like a Willie Mays card down there. Damn, that's pretty nuts. Well, Ryan, we're lucky to have you on. That's uh, why we have Jets cards from the '60s right now. There you go. And Ryan, we met in Atlanta. I think last February. I want to say uh, yeah. we were down there. What was that called? What, what uh, was Culture called? Collision Show? Prism God Show. Yeah, the Prism God Culture Collision in Atlanta. That was. My f- second trip with Ludex, my former employer, uh, had a good time at the trade night, even though there were like no tables at the trade night. Had some beers, talked to you, you and the whole squad. Uh, you want to? Who's all? Who's the whole Philly squad? Who am I talking about here, Ryan? Um. So usually the people that I'm with, um, it used to be my brother, but he's since moved on to bigger and better things. Um. But shout out to Connor and. Uh, Koch, obviously, at Koch's Cards, Meatball at Meatball's Cards, Matt's B-Ball Cards, Danny Dimebox. Those are just some of the guys in the local scene that I usually set up at shows with. And then there's a bunch of other more people. We have, like, a good community 
uh, out in the Philly area. So shout out to all of those guys. Yeah. Max, have you ever been to any of the Philly shows out there? No. No? You're not uh, even the big one? I uh, sorry, Tommy. I've been to I've been to the Philly show, but I have not been to the local Philly shows. Um when I usually try a show going to my local shows in the area, I would like the most south I'll be is like mid Jersey. But Brotherly Love Show, which we love Delco Rips on this podcast. Alex is great. Just too far of a drive for me to make. That's fair. That's fair. Ryan, you got you haven't done your own card show, right? That's never been something you've done. No, I mean, a lot of people have like asked me when I wanted or if I ever want to do it, or like when I'm ever gonna host one. But I don't know. It's it's a lot of work, and um, I'm really happy with a lot of the shows in the area, like the Philly show and the Valley Forge area is really good. And then Brett Fishtown Card Show puts on a really good show, and then. City of Brotherly Love shows coming up in the ranks. And then there's always shows to travel to. So if I were to ever put on a show, um, it wouldn't, I wouldn't want it to interfere with any of the other big shows in the weekend because I feel like a lot of the show promoters kind of overlap with each other and don't really give you a lot of good options when if they just like coordinated with each other, we could maybe all go to every single show. But uh, for now, I think I'm good hanging out on the sidelines and just attending people's shows, but I'm always looking and paying attention and seeing that there might be an opportunity in the future. So we'll see. That's dope. Yeah. I've been to the Fishtown card show once uh, when it was in the casino. Is it still in the casino there? Yeah. Still at Rivers Casino. Brett puts on a great show. Um, He's got like a gift for putting on events. Uh, he's like a realtor. He's a DJ. He's just like an entrepreneur in general. So it's somebody that puts on a really good event. And from where it originally started, they started at the Fillmore, which is like a concert venue during COVID. And it was like probably like 20 dealers deep. And now they're like selling out every single show and they're getting like over a thousand people in attendance every show. So from what it's like come to be, it's like really impressive what Brett's done. Isn't yeah, there a that was band that has like a very famous concert at the Fillmore. Yeah, Phil, think... the Fillmore has probably had all of the big artists over, I don't know, a long time. But it's a it's a great concert venue. Not really the best uh, show venue, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, shout out Philly. Shout out all the Philly shows out there. Uh, Ryan, what were like the first sets that got you into cards? Like, what were you ripping early days? Like, do you still have any of those like first? first shit you were collecting yeah the my first addiction um when i like really got into cards i was a big baseball collector and now i'm like put baseball kind of on the back burner but when the chase was for like bryce harper and steven strasberg was like some of my most fond memories jason hayward who i have a signed jersey of in my room right now is like my first like real PC and uh, one of my best memories from chasing like the Bryce Harper team USA card and uh, the Strasburg rookie out of Bowman. I pulled a Starling Castro refractor first Bowman Chrome auto, which was like a pretty big card at the time. And that kind of just sparked my interest into collecting. And then maybe a few years after that, when I started like a YouTube channel, um, my boy actually got me into it. Uh, I started ripping Bowman and my first like really big pool, I think was uh, the Bryce Harper first Bowman uh, paper auto. And I remember like in the card shop, just like in complete shock, like freaking out, like it was the greatest day ever. I was with all my cousins in the shop 
the pack was like $20. So I could only buy like two packs at the time and pulling that was just insane. So that was a great man. You pulled that from just like a random like loose pack. It was a Bowman jumbo. And I, every time I went to, I would beg my parents to take me to the card shop and like, I would literally just take all my money and spend it like on these packs. And I pulled the Bryce Harper auto out of like a few packs that day. And I probably spent more money than I was supposed to at the shop that day. But pulling that was just like insane to me. So that was worth it. Yeah. That's like, do you, uh, do you still hold Bryce Harper cards? Is that something that you like, hang on? Like, do you still, I I doubt you have Strasburg's, but like, I feel like I've seen you post some Harper cards. Uh, I mean, Bryce Harper moves really well around this area. So anytime I get one in, it usually will move pretty quickly. But I mean, I'm always in the market for buying Bryce Harper cards. If I could go back in time and find out where my original Bryce Harper auto was that I pulled, I would pay thousands over what it's worth right now just to have that in my collection. Because I like that, that card is just like personal to me. And now, now I kind of like, um, Anytime I pull like a big card and it's like got like a really good like resale value right now, I really like second guess even selling it because like the attachment to the card that I pulled is like worth way more than the money that I'll be able to get back from the card. So I learned that lesson that when you pull like a cool card and even if you can make your money back on the box, which is really rare, just hold on to it because money comes and goes, but you're not going to be able to get that card back all the time. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take the response on that. Um, we had some fun pre-show allegations that alleged by Tommy that I am not a true collector anymore. And no. I will, no. Okay. That's not what we were saying off the record. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but I'm I think there's a lot of aspects to that to digest a good amount that I agree with. Even as recent as last episode, Tommy and I were discussing the importance of ripping and the economics of it and how ripping at least for me personally has such a fun entertainment value but when you're chasing at least contextually during the time your bryce harper autos or even now if you're ripping a box of bowman trying to get drew jones or now so in series two with jordan walker corbin carroll anthony volpe you're not really going to pull if you get base and you get a rainbow foil or a gold that's phenomenal that's you're completely destroying the odds but you're not getting access to a card that otherwise was out of your disposable income. As a kid, that's a way different story because your disposable income was way lower. And hitting a Drew Jones base auto is otherworldly and something otherwise entirely out of your means. Um, consequence of that, at least in my own collecting, I have all of my baseball binders untouched from when I was in high school and when I was collecting as a kid. You're straight, Tommy. You're shaking your head. I no, that's just wild. No, I did that intentionally because I don't. There is still an extreme amount of sentimental value in those base cards. Not an extreme, but like there is sentimental value there in my almost complete 2014 tops update set and my mostly filled 2019 tops Walgreens yellow set. Things that are just whacking. Things that I was trying for when I was ripping, but now whether for cards or for not, those are things that I, I could buy my way to a complete set, you know, or the eighties cards that I got as New York Yankees teams packs at the lotto store where if you would get out, you would pay 10 bucks and you did a hundred Yankees. Those are still in my binders. And that was just more of a quantity thing when I was a kid. So disrupting that 
it, you know, it upsets that inner sort of peace that it has. Um, so I fully agree with that sentimental value has stuff that money can't buy. Um, I now am forced to show the Bryce Harpers that I'm shit at sitting on. And I have my two six six one twenty twelve Bryce Harper rookie autos and the twenty thirteen holding award image variation. That I love the oddities with Bryce Harper. I love that he has so much more depth to his rookie cards than Trout. Trout is interesting because of his lack of rookie cards. And that was a lot of thoughts. <laughs> No, I love well, that. I mean, also, he... it helps that Bryce Harper's in a market like Philly, where Mike Trout's in Los Angeles, and I, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know a ton of Angels fans out there. We need Mike yeah, they... Trout in Philly. We need him to come back home, honestly. Yeah, for real. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this guy ends up on the Giants next season, hopefully. Yeah, I uh, uh, hope Angels all you want. And the Athletics you... feel like they're a bit cursed right now, so I don't know what's going on. It's tough. Since this is a sports analysis podcast, we can talk about how baseball leaving Oakland is bad for baseball. It sucks, man. That's brutal. I, I, I feel really hard for all A's fans out there, um, especially our friend Mitch, who comes on all the time. I actually had a big poll, though. Uh, speaking of pulling a card that's worth more than the box, I did a D-Gen rip. Ryan, I, I let myself rip one hobby box and sometimes some hangers, but mainly just Topps flagship. And, like, I'll rip a box of Heritage just because that's what I ripped growing up. Not yeah. that expensive. I'll just do it. Pulled a Riley Green real one auto redemption, which is pretty that's dope. That's one of my favorite sets, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Max, do you want to reveal your recent real one pickup? What is my recent real one pickup? Is that the judge? Yeah, a, yeah the judge. Oh, yeah. The judge I've had for a while. Um, last oh, Chantilly card show, I bought... Well. I will say there is a new aspect to it. I bought it at the Chantilly card show in like three months ago. And the Chantilly card show is this weekend and I'll be going. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'll be there on Friday. Really? I'll, I'll see you there, Ryan. Um, I bought it as a Beckett 9.5 True Gem Plus. It is a 2017 Heritage Aaron Judge rookie auto. I did sent it to crossover, not cracking, crossover, upgraded to a psa 10 that's always great damn i hate aspects of cards like this because because of financials it's like well oh if there's one at auction or oh he's hurt and it's like okay you have to capture the value while it's there and then buy back later if it's so something that you love but i'm not attached to the card but it is a cool card something tommy that i thought you were going to highlight was um my attempted kind of not attempted run on mike trout red ink autos because I've toyed with the idea of an addition to wanting to doing a full tops a full black run of trout, which would be really cool. But also the 2011 and even the 2012 was very pricey. That'd I think crazy. the Heritage Real One Red Ink Auto Run would also be really cool because that only starts at 2016, and all of them are out of 70. Really cool. The sad thing is, modern is just not cool enough, and people don't believe it's cool enough, which is why I pivot to vintage. <laughs> And I'm not even an old head, but yeah, and that—that's a good pivot for us to ask Ryan about what he collects because I know that Ryan, you're into some vintage shit, and uh, give the people your Philly. I don't know. I, I see you post a lot of Philly cards. I don't know how much of these are you collecting versus like just it sells well in your area. Well, the, somebody told me like a while back that 
when people post on Instagram, they only uh, post what they want you to see. So what I post is only like a small portion of what I'm actually sitting on. And uh, whatever I post is just for, I'm not trying to pump anything. That's not who I am at heart. I'm a collector, but I do do it uh, and I get paid full time to do it. And I have my own LLC. So that that's separate from like what I collect and everything. But when in terms of vintage, um, the thing that really broke me into vintage cards was boxing. And I've been boxing for almost four years now. So I like to and I'm like a huge history guy. I love going back and looking at like old fights, whether it's Muhammad Ali or like Jack Dempsey, if you can find good images of that. But I really just picked out a few of my favorite boxers and found out what their best cards are and started collecting them. But um, vintage boxing is really hard to come by. So like when you see it, it's usually pretty pricey for like the key cards that you want. But I love collecting guys like Jack Johnson, Jack Dempsey. Joe Lewis, um, Sugar Ray Robinson doesn't have a lot of cards, Rocky Marciano. But I love going back in history and like the stories that come attached to some of these guys where it's like, like, I don't think that you can compare an athlete to today to a guy like Muhammad Ali or Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis literally fought Hitler's pawn before World War Two, And that fight meant way more than any boxing fight could ever matter today. Almost like any sporting event, I feel like. Like, Ryan's one sec. People forget that boxing was the number one sport back in the day. It was probably boxing number one and then maybe baseball. But for the longest time before boxing got very political and everything, boxing was what everybody watched and everybody wanted to see. So that's just something that connects well with me. And I usually don't buy stuff that like I, I genuinely don't like. Like I'd rather collect it first and then hopefully the money will follow. And obviously I have different purchases for investment reasons, but I feel like I have a good taste in cards in general where like if I'm buying it up and like I can hold it long enough and maybe make some money and buy back into other stuff, I'll do that all day. Uh, Ryan, can I ask something, Max, real quick? Yeah, go for it. Um, Something me and Max talk a lot about is like where we go online to like learn about cards and like how you do research and shit. Like where... Are there like blowout threads that are full of boxing info and stuff for you? Are you like how where are you finding info on boxing? Vintage honestly, boxing cards? honestly, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, so like I'm curious. I'm just a curious person in general. I was like the kid in school that would ask a million questions about anything, and even if it was like for like comical reasons, I was just genuinely curious. So when I'm at card shows, like talking to older dealers, like the knowledge that you could get from some of the guys that have been in the industry for like 30, 40 plus years. Like I've learned so much from some of those guys and uh, just like exploring the internet, like eBay, or I'm a big fan of PWCC, even though they have their own issues going on right now, just like every other auction house, it seems like. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of trial and error and I'm not afraid to make mistakes on something. So if I overpay on something, it's just, a lesson to be learned and something to to learn from moving forward so I don't make that same mistake again. So I've lost on hundreds of cards before and it's helped me to where I'm at now. Yeah, for sure. Um do you is boxing like do you go on deeper, darker sites, auction sites? Max has been exploring those recently, like the non super mainstream auction sites. Is um, like that tend to have a lot of vintage. 
I think there's like good sites like uh, Heritage Auctions and like Leland Auctions and stuff like that that like people our age don't really tend to go to. But um, yeah, I'm usually just a buyer of like eBay or PWCC at first, but that's something that I need to stretch out, um, stretch out to like uh, like Heritage Auctions. If I if I want to learn about a lot of vintage cards, like I feel like there's always record-breaking uh vintage sales on that site so like if i want to see what um, the mantle 52 tops is going for like you're not just going to get auction results from ebay and pwcc you need to extend uh to looking at some of these other sites that have been around way longer than any of these companies that we're talking about right now yeah for sure max what are what are some of the ones you've been liking um no, I have a lot of boxing thoughts. Ryan, were you at the Chicago show? Yeah. The Spectacular? Did you buy some sick boxing there? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, because, I don't know, I remember the boxing selection specifically being cool. And I don't think, I obviously didn't know you at the time, but I feel like I saw you exchanging with a dealer about a really cool boxing pickup you bought. Because I, at the Chicago show, was also extremely eyeing vintage. So I was just kind of overhearing everything yeah, I, that I could hear. <laughs> I think the dealer's name was The Great Curator. And uh, I ended up picking a bunch of boxing vintage stuff. And just having an hour, maybe a few hour conversation throughout the weekend that I was there, I learned so much about like what Jack Dempsey's true rookie is or like what you should be paying for this stuff or like stuff that he sold in the past where he's like, you should look out for these cards if you can find it in a lower grade because I just sold this PSA 10 for whatever price. So, I mean, I, I was able to pick up a few Ali rookies there, and yeah. um, that's one card that I really like. If you, like, look in the PSA registry on Pop Report, uh, the Ali rookie, the 1960 Hemets, has, like, 200 in the whole Pop Report. And, like, you look at rookie cards nowadays, they're, like, pop a thousand and people say it's like low pop but it's like maybe arguably the greatest athlete of all time with like i don't know so much history attached to him there's only 200 out there and it's like a a fraction of the price of some of these modern guys that are selling it just doesn't make much sense to me something that i think is particularly cool is that when you're going back specifically with baseball because i'm more of a baseball person when you're looking at all these older sets Many of them also include boxing counterparts. Um, I don't think there's a... You can I mean, look I at the 1948 Leaf set. Where yeah, there's... 1948 Leaf is one that has boxing. Um, I know even... I don't think Alan and Ginter has boxing, do they? I know um, there's a lot no, of... Old... There's, like, there's like similar to like TO6 cards, but yeah. they're, they're like, they're, they come from cigarette packs too, but there's like all different like um rookies and stuff like that from those packs one of my favorite vintage sets which is a weird one to be to really like is 1942 propagandist montiel which is from which is a set of sporting kings uh from cuba in the 1940s and their caramel cards or they came included with caramel packaging and the condition of almost all of these are terrible because they're very thin stock and obviously we're packaged with candy. And there's a, I think half the checklist is like baseball and the other half is boxing. And I noticed a lot of with these older sets, boxing is obviously very prevalent in it, but 
finding oddball stuff conjoined with the baseball or oddball sets rather that are baseball and boxing conjoined is something that's is at least as enticing for me when I go down the rabbit hole. I feel like something about vintage boxing is that there's so many more vintage boxing sets than there are vintage baseball sets. When you, I'm talking pre-war like that. I feel like that really shows you why boxing was actually like the top sport at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say like I'm close to an expert because I've just been getting into vintage boxing probably over the last two years, but I'm learning like as I go and there's like so many cool sets to buy. And like usually when something pops up in a high grade, like I, I, I want it right away. And uh, there's there's surprisingly like, like a niche market in boxing, like people will pay really strong for that stuff. So it's hard to compete with some of the guys that have way bigger pockets than i do but uh if i can find the right stuff for the right price like i feel like i'm always a buyer of that stuff yeah me and max's whole thesis of this podcast is like talking about cheaper cards that are just super cool and rare that you can still buy and like feel the, like that's the game the dank to dollar ratio the dank to dollar ratio very important um what is the modern like what are some what's modern boxing looking like these days? Like what do you, do you collect modern boxing at all? Yeah. So it's, it's very scarce and um, they have like every few years they'll have like an Allen and Ginter uh, or they'll have a boxer sign in like Allen and Ginter or Goodwin champions or Floyd Mayweather has some cards that cross with baseball and same with Manny Pacquiao. So you really just don't see a lot of them out there. Um, Floyd signs a bunch in like leaf products, but I don't really like that stuff as much. But anytime I can get my hands on like a nice Allen and Ginter auto of like Earl Spence or Gennady Golovkin or a Goodwin Champions auto of like Canelo Alvarez, that's like considered his rookie. Like I am always on the search to buy those cards. So it's just something that I love. Oh, yeah, that's dope. What's, like, the grail of modern boxing cards? Like, what is what would be, like, the most highly demanded? I, with an auto and without an auto, like, what would be, like... Because I know autos auto, are just... So what years do you consider modern? I'm talking, like, since Ali. Well, nah, I'm probably more, like, even more modern than that. Like, since Tyson. Maybe since including Tyson. Tyson. Maybe including him. Um, so there's, do you know the 2003, like, SB Authentic set with, uh, like, LeBron? He has the auto that's vertical out of 500. So Canelo Alvarez actually has one. I don't know where this comes from, but it's, like, that, that card of Canelo, and it's, like, an auto out of 10. And they sell for, like, upwards of, like, six or 7,000. So, like, that, that's, that's a card that's on my list, but the autos look terrible on it. And I haven't found, like, a one that I necessarily want yet. Um, but that's one of the grills that are like signed. And then in terms to non-auto, I would say the Floyd Mayweather Browns rookie in like a PSA 10 probably sells for like 6K. Um, yep. What's the deal with that Brown set? I feel like I see that like with a few boxers. What is, do you know anything about that? I, I really don't know much. It's hard for me to get around to paying that much when I don't like the eye appeal of the card necessarily. Um, and I love Floyd. I have, uh, a few autographs of him but yeah that's just not something that i would much rather spend my money on an ali rookie from 1960 than i think it's like a 1997 floyd mayweather rookie or something like that um but yeah it's just not that appealing for me i really like the ink 
and like on card autos specifically. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think looking specifically more and more at autographs and rookie cards in general, um, Ali just has a lot of cool, random, dank stuff. Um, something that I was bidding on the other night that I texted a screenshot of it to both you guys, but it's this like, my point being is that Muhammad Ali is a very interesting character in the boxing world and beyond what. Okay. Oh shit, that's probably my my sweatshirt. My bad. I'll take that out. Okay, I was just confused. I was like, "Are we having a technical difficulty?" No, no, but I, I stumbled on this really cool well, Muhammad Ali uh, memorabilia, and I was outbid on it. And it is a notebook pad with writing in print. Uh, the Bible is riddled with self contradictions. It will be your first time seeing this, and when you see that the contradictions are true, how can you believe in it? I'm going to show you clear proofs that the Bible cannot cannot be God's word, and it signed Muhammad Ali. And I think it ended for like $750, but seeing works like that, not obviously speak to Muhammad Ali as a person and not just as an athlete, but that is something that really would make you connected to the human behind the sport. That's crazy. That I'll put that letter up on our Twitter or something. That's a pretty crazy yeah. thing. Um Ryan, something that another thing that me and Max have been talking about in the recent episodes is like kind of the basketball world of collecting because of the NBA playoffs and like how there wasn't as much, you know, volatility as like 2020 and stuff. Uh, I know you collect flawless game worn patches. Is there anything else in basketball that you collect? Uh, yeah, it's it just doesn't uh, stay with like I like just certain sets in general that have like years and years like where they actually like release and not just like a product that came out for one year and stopped after that so i love flawless i love national treasures i like prism stuff that's not like super oversaturated but um i like revolution um there's definitely sets that i like um trying to think off the top but like flawless to me just like sticks out even though it kind of looks similar like year in and year out there's like certain guys that i like collecting i feel like you can never go wrong with like a Giannis or LeBron or Steph Curry. I feel like you'll always have like a buyer for that kind of stuff. So um, I don't really like prospect as much in basketball because I feel like, like my collector mindset, like is telling me like, why would I buy this Zion card when I could buy a LeBron rookie autograph for the same price? And like, I'll take the value any day over something that's like new or hypey. And if I do buy some like, hypey stuff i'm usually trying to like flip it i'm not like a long-term holder of like chet holmgrum or zion or jaw like if you held on to zion or jaw cards from when they release like you are down really bad right now that's putting it nicely max mm-hmm. has famously bought in a few jaws over the over the last year that have not oh, I just in general, that is putting it nicely that is putting it nicely um I, I also see you are fond of Topps Chrome Refractors, as me and Max are. Do you have a favorite Topps Chrome year? Uh, that's a good question. Um, favorite Topps Chrome year? Or, like, you don't have, you can like, list some that you like. I feel like I really like 1998. Um, those refractors, like, kind of hit. And there's not, like, a lot of parallels, but I just love the looks of the cards. And then I would say... 2001 they have like that black refractor set that's out of 50 that year 
that set is super fire to me. And then 2009, I feel like the refractors are like ultra shiny that year. Um, so they're appealing. And when you can get like a high grade one with the black borders on the back, I feel like that's something that everybody should be a buyer of in like a high grade. Um, but yeah, I, I, at one point I was going after the Iverson. So uh, I really liked the, the 1996 was the first year it started, obviously. And like a Kobe refractor without the graining is like a bucket list card for me or like an Iverson. So that's just a few that I, I really like uh, off the bat. Do you, I know the 01 black NBA tops chrome like parallel set is pretty insane for I kind of like almost not talked about very often other like I, you obviously see people like heavy collect it some of these like older collector guys but um, I feel like people don't talk about it as like greatest basketball sets or whatever I guess it's probably yeah. just because it's a parallel I don't know yeah I usually just I usually just um, I'm my focus is always on like the most rare card I can get possible. So if there's not like a parallel that year, like I want like the lowest numbered or something that you don't see pop up every day. Cause if there's a comp going off every single week on eBay and you happen to buy it this week and then the next week it goes down 50%, like, are you going to keep buying them when they're not even like rare at that point? Like it just, I don't know. I feel like it's just like a prism silver nowadays. The rare cards win. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Uh, not a lot of base cards are talked about on here unless they're just randomly cool. Like you said that you like to look into like kind of weird uh, going back to the boxing stuff. Max brought up re recently this baseball, like old baseball card that has like Joe Jackson sliding into the base. And it's like, it's I not mentioned that, that it's, it. you sold that one. It's sold. Yeah. Well, tell Ryan the story on what the card is real quick. And I want to see if there's any like boxing parallels to this. Possibly. Oh, I'm pretty sure because I did a little bit of reading that Hassan Cigarettes did do boxing cards. Is that correct, Ryan? Yeah. Okay. So this was a Hassan triple folder baseball card. So it had a two portrait panels on the left and right, and then it had an action panel in the middle. And during the action in the action panel, so these cards were made in, I believe, 1912. It is T202. And Jack Shoeless Joe Jackson's first full MLB season was 1911. So this was before he would have been big or heralded or anything like that. And it was photo matched in about 2010 that what the player being slide in and tagged on third base is Shoeless Joe Jackson. And after that, the card value went up bigly. And I found it very funny. I bought it off PWCC and PWCC made no mention of Shoeless Joe Jackson. Wow. Other sites like Heritage, and especially eBay will make mention of Shoeless Joe Jackson. So in that regard, I think like the oddball stuff like that is pretty cool. Yeah, there's one boxing card that sticks out to me. And it's not like the most rare by any means, but I just like the picture behind it. Um, it's Muhammad Ali and he looks like he's shadow boxing and the Beatles are in the same picture. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that, that card is really cool to me. It doesn't pop up a lot. I think it's from somewhere in Europe. Uh, they release the cards, but I'd like to get a high grade of that card one day. There's two different variations. There's a vertical and a horizontal one, but I like the Beatles. I love Ali. So like, that's, that's one card I want to put in my collection. And then there's another Ali card where, you know, he says like float, like a butterfly sting, like a bee. He's yeah. got like the butterfly wings and like, there's like bees in the picture and it's like a kind of a cartoonish version of Ali in it. And it's not the rarest card ever, but I'd like to get that card in a high grade one day. 
that's, that's cool. like kind of like a uh, old school like kaboom type card or like yeah. downtown or something that's like yeah um you you mentioned at the beginning ryan that you you cards is like your full-time job how much can you talk about what you do on like a full-time level yeah so cards definitely and then i've been working on my real estate license too so uh trying to pivot to where i can do both um which be would be awesome um but yeah i work for um gary pristine mj sports and i work with matt's b-ball cards um and we pretty much just do like regular card operation stuff we set up at shows we buy at shows we buy on ebay pwcc um just like a lot of the basic stuff but we try and just get creative with like what we buy we're not trying to buy we're not trying to do what everybody else is all the time um it's kind of like how people say in betting like you're fading the public like if you're buying into what everybody else's hype is like you already kind of lost because the people that are hyping it up are probably selling that stuff as they go so just finding like new markets to tap into or markets that have already been tapped into and come down a a, like a bunch where maybe there's opportunity or new athletes to invest in or whenever there's a new prism product that comes out some you're not going to go after the kenny pickets and the guys that are selling super high maybe go after the, some of the skill position guys that you think are going to have a good year like jahan dotson or like a brian robinson jr or like anybody that you can just find value in in general and like grading and flipping and just all that fun stuff that's a dope. Uh, what I, I see you buy a lot of skill position football cards, like more than most people. What are like some of the other, what's, what are the things that you're looking at right now and buying a lot of? Like what specific players? Uh, you said like just looking at what people are like might be down, like whether it be players, that's. Yeah. Like... Well, I feel like when it comes to like skill position players and football products usually come out in the winter, but obviously with COVID, all the releases are kind of, backed up so they're coming out like now which is crazy but i feel like a lot of the football market is speculation and i've been playing fantasy football since i was in like third or fourth grade so like if you can literally look at the fantasy football rankings and see who could go in like the top three rounds or who might be like a sleeper wide receiver that year or you can look at like mvp rankings that like vegas puts out like some of those guys are going to be really hot come the national where like you don't even have to worry about their performance and it's more just speculation based where you can just sell and flip from there so um yeah it's like you can make money on defensive players if you like you know what you're doing um but like football i'd say is like the sport where i'm most uh well versed on so i feel like i have like an advantage over most people most people that just get their information from social media where like you can kind of dig deeper if you like watch every game or you're like reading reports that other people aren't reading i respect that I def- max no that's a good way of putting it um i mean there's only so much money and interest to go around that you have to zig or other zag and you have to always think as cliche as it is, the true collector, because there are Redskins fans that want Jahan Dotson. There are Philly fans that want, or actually I'm thinking specifically with the Jets, that's fans that want Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, even though Sauce Gardner is Sauce Gardner. And one of my favorite parallels that's been in Prism uh, probably since like 2017 uh, in retail out of the rack packs, actually, or just the regular hobby, uh, the retail uh, boxes, there's like a 
a red retail prism and a retail blue prism and they're like super short printed every year so like when they come out upon release or like whenever they come up available like some of those cards are more rare than like a true hobby camo out of 25 where like the collector in me is going to buy that all day and it's like kind of like a niche market but it's something that like i've kind of uh been accustomed to the last few years so like i i love like the retail dark blue and the retail red parallels of like prism rookies if you can get like prism a Mahomes. So small. what's up what? prism is so i mean excuse me the print run is so little on those yeah i i mean i don't think they've ever come out with a report but like rumor is like the red is like short printed to like 30 or less or something and the blue is short printed to like 10 or less and they might keep going up every single year but like you just don't see them sell publicly that often unless it's like right upon release and people kind of like overlook those cards and don't even know like what they are really. And I feel like there's just a lot of room for growth in those. Yeah. I feel like those cards are also very likely to be pulled by like random people buying a pack at target or something, not knowing what the hell they have throwing it in a binder and like forgetting about it. Like, I feel like that definitely happens with especially the red and the blues from prison football. Yeah, I remember ripping a case of the 2017 prison football retail um, for my boss. And that's my it's probably 15 times what it was worth back then. I think the whole case was like two thousand um, dollars. And I remember pulling like four, four or five Mahomes silvers. I remember pulling like a Watson red true rookie, a Mahomes blue true rookie, which sold for like four or five thousand dollars at the time and now it's probably like a ten thousand dollar card so like um yeah you definitely can't buy those boxes that cheap then but just like pulling those cards in general and just knowing like how rare they are to hit is like something that i don't know i feel like it gets overlooked a bunch max asked me last week what i thought like the best prism parallel was to collect for basketball and I said, like, the blues or, like, the blue ice is pretty nice. But I feel like football, it's definitely, like, those retail parallels are pretty nice. I feel like I always see, like, the player collectors going after those first out of anything. And Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a sucker for the camo. Uh, I know they came out with, like, two camos the last few years, the forest camo out of 15 and the navy camo out of 25. But I feel like the navy camo is, like, so appealing and such like a good looking card so if you can get that in a high grade of like a good rookie or even a veteran just send it to psa like there's always a buyer for that kind of stuff max have you ever flipped any of those types of cards i've mostly abstained out of it just because of their obscurity and they're hard to find in the first place yeah that's fair i have been stocking up on blue ice basketball uh prism cards of like a lot of guys on the warriors and shit for just myself uh do you do you what do you collect like do you collect and shit then or are you anti and in the whole like trust the process time uh i'm i'm an Embiid fan i mean how can you not like him he's whether you agree or not he's still the mvp of the league this year and top five players in the NBA. And if you want to say Jokic should have won MVP, I wouldn't argue with you. And that's coming from a Philly fan, but I feel like he's just not like appreciated enough. And he didn't have, he didn't finish the season. Great. He kind of deteriorated the last two games of the season where we needed him the most game six and game seven kind of was kind of quiet in both, both games. But um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm an Embiid fan. I try not to get too into like the super super high end rookie stuff because I learned my lesson, and I made a bunch of money off of Carson Wentz, but I learned my lesson not to hold the bag on somebody that you're like attached to. And luckily, I got out of like Ben Simmons cards early, but I'm not going to go out of my way and buy a Tyrese Maxey true NTRPA as soon as it releases because. I know that as a Sixer fan, it's going to be way harder for me to move it and look at it as kind of like uh, an investment where like I might sell it buy at the wrong time where I'm looking at other players. I can just look at them objectively and like see where they're at in the time of the market. Yeah. Timing new releases and when to buy before stuff dries up is such a difficult battle and finding the equilibrium is something that I try to do every day. I mean, if, if if it happens where I miss out on a huge Philly prospect and he goes up an exuberant amount and I miss out on it, like I'll just wait a few years till the card cools down. And if I really want that card for my collection, like I'm, I might have to pay a little bit more, but at least I know he's a solid, he's got a solid foundation and he's going to be around for a while. Cause as soon as he moves to a different team, I'm just looking at it like, all right, like he might, I might have some great memories him but if he had like a short stint with the team i don't really have as much of an attachment as i do with like a guy like alan iverson or julia serving or guys that have already been there and done it where i'm can confidently buy something and if i need to sell it later down the line i don't have to worry about price fluctuations unless it's something very very low numbered the answer is to always just wait three months <laughs> for real did a you buy a lot of Michael Carter Williams cards after he had the greatest first game in the history of the NBA. Not, not, not a single one, honestly. Um, <laughs> around that time, I was more of a baseball guy, so I was buying Bryce Harper, and I was more into like prospects. So, like, I remember like Albert Almora was like a big prospect, and like Billy Hamilton. So I feel like it's around that time frame where I was like focused on, or like Archie Bradley, like some throwback prospect name. I was more into that stuff and that was kind of like in the beginning time where I was going from like eighth grade to like freshman year of high school and I actually stopped collecting um, like my freshman year because I thought it was like weird or whatever and I remember like my sophomore year like LaShawn McCoy was having an amazing year and I just called up my buddy that still collected I was like I don't even have an eBay account like can you just buy this card for me and that kind of like sparked my interest back into collecting and I remember a random weekend in the winter that year it was 2014 and Odell was having that like crazy run where he had like the one handed catch and like was just having an incredible season. I was opening packs of crown Royale and I pulled a one of one Odell crown Royale rookie auto and I sold it for like five or $600. And that really just sparked um, like the new inventory in my collection when I sold that, where I could just buy some nice pieces. And then it, it just, it just, made me like addicted to collecting again so i was just like fully averse in the hobby all over again what was do you remember like your first like big card you bought like for the pc do you still have one like a big one you bought when you were like in eighth grade or freshman year um i let go of a lot of stuff after i stopped collecting so that's one thing that hurt but um stuff that i still have now that i bought like the first big card to me um I was at the Wildwood card show and I was probably like 10 or 11 years old. And this was a huge card to me back then. It was the 2005 reflection set. 
It was Derek Jeter and Cal Ripken dual jersey card. And I still have that card to this day. I paid $32 for it, all I had in my pocket at the time. Um, and I used to go to Cal Ripken camps when I was younger. So it was like a sentimental piece to me to get that. And my grandparents would always talk to me about Derek Jeter when I was younger. So that's one of my favorite baseball players ever. Um, so like that card, I still have in my collection. That's never going anywhere. I've been able to buy a few more of those cards just to put back in the PC. But um, yeah, none, none that uh, I feel like I, I, I sold a lot of stuff that I wish I kept, but I'm, I'm able to be in the position where I can buy that stuff back now or where I'm able to like hold stuff where like I just really genuinely don't want to move it. That's dope. Yeah, I I always say that I kind of hate and am happy that I didn't have like an eBay account or like access. Like I didn't go to card shows, but I just like would rip packs. So I had a bunch of cool, like random diverse shit when I got back into it, but the same time i'm like damn i wish i could just like actually knew what was up and like i got go my ebay i got my ebay privileges script or strip from me pretty early on because uh i remember i had access to the ebay account and i had to get my dad's permission to like buy stuff or whatever and like one night like i was just feeling it i probably had like a sugar rush or something and made a bunch of offers on cards and they all got accepted <laughs> and it was like it was like 200 dollars worth of cards and I remember having to pay that money back, which was like a struggle at the time because I'm not working. I'm too young to have a job. But my dad's like, all right, that's it for your eBay account. Like you're done. So I got those, <laughs> I got those privileges stripped for me pretty early. So for a while. Quite literally, a, my son logged onto my eBay account and sent this offer. I cannot pay. Sorry. Yeah, but they it's got paid pay. for. I, They definitely got paid for. And uh, I definitely got grounded or whatever happened back in the day but yeah you still got the cards though yeah i got the cards it was uh it was a lot of stuff and stuff that i could <laughs> not afford at the time that's crazy uh <laughs> damn that's a funny story the uh <laughs> my only joel and beat card i ever owned was from you ryan from the national in atlantic city when you pulled up and you pulled up with like four cases by yourself you just called me and you're like i need someone to come give me a hand out here and i, I don't uh, think like my savior that day i remember pulling up to the national like thinking there'd be like carts and stuff and then looking at like an escalator up and like all this stuff where i was just like i genuinely can't leave this stuff here because if i come back it's not gonna be here and tommy was my saving grace and i was like Here's for the help. I think I handed you like an Embiid NT. Yeah, like a PSA 8 NT base. Sick card. Like a Very sick card. card but uh, <laughs> I just, I appreciate you helping me because I literally was like, who is definitely at this show and like could maybe give me a helping hand right now. So thank you for that. I genuinely appreciate that. Of course, of course. I, uh, the My Ludex time really blessed me and my ability to like go to shows and just be getting paid the whole time, which was which was wild and it was you were yeah. definitely one of the top chillest person people i met going to shows all across the country like shout out i have real love for the philly the philly scene thank you i feel like we're we're pretty down to earth people we might be rough around the edges a little bit but all of us mean really well at heart yeah for real uh ryan i really want to know though like what's up what's next for you right now i feel like you've done you've done a lot of shit in the card world like is the pod ever coming back? Is 
bro cards ever coming back one thing when you asked me to do the podcast i was so excited to do it because i genuinely just miss like talking to an audience and like especially with like bro cards where i got to record with my brother every single week it was like it was good because it gave us a reason to talk to each other while we're in different states or different places at the time and it it was kind of like a therapy session where we could like mix comedy and card talk where i feel like anybody that listened to the podcast kind of like was like this scene that you're talking about doesn't seem real with like all the nicknames and all the crazy stories that we had like attached to us so that's something i miss so much Uh, i would love to start a podcast again it's just i don't think my brother has the time or the the card knowledge right now because he's focused on some other things like he got a job at barstool he's doing stand-up comedy he's doing a bunch of other things and um i don't know i'd love to bring something back it's just about with the right people and um yeah I, i genuinely miss making uh podcasts because like i said it was like a therapy session and i feel like the community that we built like around it i feel like we sold ourselves short by like just stopping out of nowhere where like we were just building some like good momentum and I felt like some really good things were to follow, but you can't fault my brother for wanting to chase his dream job that he's wanted since he was in high school. And uh, I don't know, people get busy. So I, I, I don't fault him at all, but I genuinely just miss making content so much. Yeah, I feel that. Me and Max, I definitely feel you on the, like, talking regularly, just good for friendship, brother, like, anything. Like, me and Max talk every week on this podcast. It's always mm-hmm. a great time, and, like, I'm always glad that we do it. And all yeah. the inside jokes that came along with it. Like, you'd be surprised who listens to your podcast, and, like, you might not know who they are, but they'll come out to the booth and say, like, uh, like an inside joke or, like, know what's going on around your world, and you're like, this is so cool, like, that this, like, touch you like and i was just truly blessed that like anybody that would like listen to me or my brother talk for like an hour-long conversation like we're we're nobodies in this world so like to have somebody's attention span for that long out of the day where there's a million other podcasts and so many other things that they could be doing like it just i i never took that for granted i know max gets a lot of people coming up to him with inside jokes that he's like how forgets that he meant we talked about some shit on the podcast some people some people bring it up with him outside of the podcast he's like how do you know that yeah and I was like, talking oh, wow people will listen to me make very obtuse references and inside remarks and i love <laughs> it and i won't take any bit of it for granted yes you um, should it's good shit well ryan we'll definitely have to have you on again but anytime before you go we have to once the last segment of every episode is just recent buys one two three interesting cards that you've bought in the last like week or two um max do you want to go first and show show ryan how how you do it uh yeah well first thing uh i lied i bought a really nice blue ice jason tatum um rookie it's a bgs 95 I was looking at the comps and in March there's a sale for 4k. And I think during playoffs and I think before game seven, there were two sales for about 3k. And after games, after the nuggets won the finals, I bought mine for 2k. <laughs> so I don't know off season hold, maybe something like that, but 
regardless, it's going to be a fun card to own. I bought a lot of wacky contenders autos that are weird. One to highlight is I bought a Traylon Burks gold variation out of 10 contenders auto. I like Traylon. He's a good wide receiver. I mean, I think it just depends who's throwing him the football, but yeah, he's, he's definitely good. Yeah. It just depends on who's throwing it to him. Uh, I can't tell if there's internet connection issues on me or on YouTube. So I'm going to keep trucking through this. And uh, yeah, I've also bought a little bit of Christian Watson, who's a fun wide receiver. I like him. And I guess my third buy, which is again, completely obscure to the other two, I bought a, Blue Ray Wave Spencer Strider Tops Chrome Auto, which I was targeting auctions and I found it at a fun deal. I also spent a fuck ton of on a pre-war auction that ended like last night. And I bought a metric ton of obscure tobacco cards. But that that's just gonna that's gonna have some click outs if I got into those. No, wait. Can you get into that one though? You you had one tobacco card where you're like, there's a big story behind this one, or like you don't know why this one's cool. Can you just talk about that one for a sec? Okay, there's there's a few, but I, there I'll get into the two that I think that are the most interesting. One, yeah, I mean for obvious reasons, the one that I'm like, yeah, Twitter, you'll have no idea what this is. Um, there, so the most rare card in the T206 set is the Joe Doyle New York National League variation. And he was on, it wasn't the New York, New York Highlanders or American League. He was on the different New York National League team. I want to say, no, it wasn't the Brooklyn Dodgers because Brooklyn had its own abbreviation, but he was on the New York National team. And I think they confused, so he wasn't actually, he was actually on the Highlanders. They confused him with Larry Doyle, who's actually on New York National. And they so on the card it says New York N dot Y dot NATL. Not and national just meaning National League, not the New York Nationals. And there's rumored to be about eight total cards of this Joe Doyle New York National in existence. Um, so it wasn't that card. But tangent to that, there are eleven or some say twelve other cards that are extremely rare to find specifically with a Piedmont 150 and El Principe de Gales backs. And one of them is a bot is Bob Ewing or Buck Ewing. I don't know, man. And I bought a PSA <laughs> two Piedmont 150 of him. And it's rumored. One of the rumors or stories or, you know, wives sales about it is that those cards were on the same sheet as the uncorrected Joe Doyle error. So I, I I love that your love of the, your new like T two hundred six binge is not at all about the players or interest in what's going on with these guys. It's just mainly about like what the rare backs are and turning oh, it into a parallel game. It's entirely the cards. I love cards, and the second that I'll highlight is a so Eddie Collins is a Hall of Famer second baseman for the Philadelphia Athletics. T206, very common set. I mean, you know, printed from, everyone loves it. Print printed from 1909 to 1911. They made t- coupons that had almost the exact same, that in this context, had the exact same design as this portrait. And there were three printings of this in 1910, which are type 1s, 1914, which are type 2s, and 1919, which are type 3s. Um, Eddie Collins 
was traded to the Chicago White Sox at or around 1914. So in these iterations of it's T206 so several traded. iterations in his yeah, essentially T206 traded these T213 coupons, which are looking exactly alike, except they're a little bit glossier and have blue text. So there's some cards, some Eddie Collins cards with his portrait. So in his normal T206, he has an A on his chest for the athletics. What are you, 54321, what's that? You're, we got to shut you down. You're going no, too deep I'm, for everybody, I'm right? To, I'm getting to the point, Tom. I'm getting to the point. All right, get to the point. Get to the point. I, no, I was at the point where I was rudely <laughs> counted down on. But point being, he was traded in 1914-ish. There's a bunch of variations with the A on his breast. And some say some have the A in, say, Philadelphia. Some have the A in, say, Chicago. Some have no A in, say, Chicago. And then there's the 1919 Type 3s, which are latest printers that have no A in, say, Chicago. But I picked, uh, in addition to a bunch of other Eddie Collins, T213, T206s, I bought the rarest of them, which was a Eddie Collins, no A on shirt, Chicago Type 2, which looks cooler than I'm describing because of the weird permutation. But that's cool. Nice. I'm glad. I hope we have yeah. enough people sticking around through that. I am asserting. Really take into account all of it. I am Emperor um, Max and I am declaring presidentially that it is cool. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go much quicker. I'm a big fan of the, the coach cards in 20. This is 2017 Prism, right? right? I think. 2017. Yeah, 2017. So I'm going after the Steve Kerr rainbow. I decided officially. I got the orange in. I think it's out of 60 or something. Just Steve Kerr. Absolutely essential part of the Warriors dynasty. And also, I just love him. I think he's dope and a big fan. So orange, if you see cool parallels of that, hit me up. People that listen to this podcast and go to card shows. All right, Ryan, your turn. Uh, one that you'll like, I haven't shared yet, and I probably won't post, so anybody that will know about it will only hear about it from the podcast. Uh, 2012 National Treasures, Steph Curry, Colossal Patch Auto. Um, I picked that up on PWCC a few weeks back. Splurge a little, little bit, but you, like you said, the little playoff dip. So I think the last time it sold was like 4500 and I got it for a fraction of that. So that was... A nice little blessing to see. Um, and then another one, a Philly Homer pickup, a uh, new Philly running back, 2020 contenders, uh, the clear ticket autograph out of 10 of DeAndre Swift. Uh, so that was a cool and like pretty cheap value buy, honestly. And then a guy that I feel like a lot of people are overlooking or sleeping on, which is just a cheap pickup. It's like 2013 top strata, Geno Smith rookie auto out of 25. I think I paid $25 for it on eBay. And it's like, would you rather buy Geno Smith, who had like a Pro Bowl season last year, rookie auto out of 25 for $25, or Sam Howell, who hasn't had a full season starting yet in the NFL, where that card would be 150 or 200 bucks. So just like a value, like nerd buy for me. I feel like, I feel like he's just so slept on where like they got another wide receiver, um, from Ohio State this year, Smith and Jigba, I think his I don't know how to pronounce it, but they got him this year and he's got another web and I feel like he had a great season last year and he's just been slept on and kind of disrespected a lot. So it's just like if I want to flip it before the season, I feel like it's just a speculation by where there's gonna be somebody that's gonna to wanna to buy that card even if I make fifteen dollars on it. So 
It's a cool one there. Well, they they say uh, that they all tried to write him off, but he didn't write back, right? Quotes of all time. Unreal quote. Unreal quote. Um, before we we go, Ryan, do you, do you have any Jokic cards that you really regret selling too early now? Now that he's at his peak? Honestly, I, other than Embiid, I really try and stay away from big man cards. And Jokic was never like a guy necessarily that appealed to me. And I don't know if it was like the Philly homer in me that I was always like, Embiid's way better than him. Like, I can't take Embiid banter, but I think it's proven at this point that Jokic is the better man. But yeah, I try and stay away from big man cards in general. Obviously, I regret not buying Jokic cards just like everybody else, but you can't sit back in the past and ponder about like what could have been. I'm sure I've had some cool Jokic cards, but none that are like super memorable. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, where where can people find you, Ryan, on the inter- in the internet? Big social media guy, so I only have Instagram, um, Philly Cards 25 on Instagram. Um, never downloaded TikTok. Used to have Twitter, but it used to just be like a time suck for me of like just scrolling endlessly. So yeah, just Instagram for now, Philly Cards 25. What happened to the YouTube though? The YouTube was never even a thing. Like I feel I like thought you, Dan- you said you had a YouTube though. Like oh, way yeah. Back. So when I was in like uh six or seven six going in like sixth or seventh grade, I made a YouTube and my name was and as soon as girls oh, got into the picture, wait, it cut then, out, it cut out with the name. So you got to say the name again. My name on YouTube was Mr. Mojo Thousand. I was probably like 12 years old. Um, <laughs> got into the picture. Some of my friends leaked out my YouTube to some girls and I was like, oh, this can't be a thing. So that got deleted. I wish I still had the account because I probably had like 700 or a thousand subscribers back in the day which was like a good amount and if i was i kept making content from that point on to now i can't imagine what could have been but yeah that's one of my regrets just deleting it letting other people dictate my thoughts but middle school was like a different era where that's kind of stuff got to your head so it's r.i.p to mr mojo man 1000 that's that's an amazing story here for the end i uh (laughs) definitely we might have to clip that one and get try to try to find the videos that's insane uh but i wish that you did keep going you would have been making money right now yeah yeah that's the thing though like the content for me i like i'm like a private person to begin with so like even on my personal instagram i might post like a few times a year but like i really just try and keep that separate from like card stuff in general um, sure, I could post like me traveling to cities or me taking a picture of my shoes on an airplane, just like everybody else. But like, that's just not my thing. Uh, I was in this world where you should just be able to take advantage of like the private moments and just having like pure memories instead of some of the content out there that just seems like artificial. And they're like only like doing it for the camera, like talking in the camera where like, I genuinely have just like real relationships with people that I don't need to film. And if I do something good for somebody, like I, it doesn't need to be like out in the open, like giving cards away or whatever the case may be. Like, I'm just going to give it out and like just being like a genuine person in general. So I, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. I, I like that. There's a lot of hobby content. There's a lot of great hobby content, but 
some of the stuff just seems like artificial to me where on camera they might be smiling or whatever, but behind the scenes, they might be a totally different person uh, to interact with. So I don't know. I'm, I'm like a very real person and very raw person. So I don't think I'm fit for YouTube in any capacity right now. And that might change down the line. I don't try not to speak in absolutes, but yeah, that's just my opinion. That was a very good take. I think uh, it's a great, I think a great way to end. So I think <laughs> for now, uh, make sure to follow Ryan, uh, attend Philly card shows. Uh, you travel around too sometimes, right? You know, you're the national. Yeah, I'll be in Chirac in July. I'm looking forward to it. It's a great city, honestly. Um, it reminds me kind of it reminds me of Philly, to be honest, where like you see like the the murder rates or whatever, and it's like all like big, bad, and scary. But there's like places that you should be and places that you should maybe stay away from, and that's how Philly is. It's like neighborhood for neighborhood. Like I don't know. I feel like Chicago actually moving um because the new barstool office is going to chicago so hopefully i'll be there a lot more for a bunch more shows hell yeah can't wait to see you out here because the the chicago shows are pretty much the only shows i'm gonna be going to and i'm pretty grateful to be here though because there are some dope ones max are you gonna be at the national this year i will i'll be crashing on your couch for the first few nights whether you like it or not (laughs) yep max will be sleeping um my floor. No, I'm He's got to save on those hotel fees. He's got to save on those hotel fees to buy some new rare Tops T O six car. <laughs> some crazy ass shit with some variations and shit. All right. Yeah the the left breast doesn't have the A. There you, yeah, the, the breast doesn't have the A, Max. That was the craziest line in the whole podcast. You go. Um, Why are we getting weird about breasts? Just, uh, you were the one that brought them up. I was just talking word about choice. sports cards. I love yeah, that. Yeah, man. <laughs> we were just talking about sports cards. <laughs>